Hey, everybody. It's Josh Gunner with A Gathering Springfield. Thank you for joining us in our podcast as we continue our conversation about the glorious return of Jesus Christ, such an important part of the gospel message. In today's episode, we're going to continue to talk about what Jesus had to say about his return and the generation leading up to it. If you would like to contact us and learn more about our ministry, you can email me at pastorjgunter at gmail.com. Let's get to it. It's Wednesday, which means another episode of our podcast. Be sure to go back and listen to those previous episodes if you haven't been able to. Each new episode builds on the previous one. So last week we were talking about what Jesus had to say about his return. We walked through Matthew 24 together, which is the most detailed description that Jesus gave about his return and that generation leading up to it. Uh, Really the primary focus of that chapter, Jesus explains to his people the Great Tribulation. And so we we were able to talk about that. Again, I I don't want to get back into it, but go back, listen, and, uh, and see what Jesus has to say. Before we get too deep in today's episode, I want to remind us all that the message of Jesus' return is crucial for the believer. It's something that is so often neglected in our contemporary modern church. It's something that we don't like to talk about And I know there's some confusion in the church about it. There are different opinions, and and I want to respect everyone's opinion. But Jesus saw this as a very important topic. He didn't give us this information. He didn't give us the book of Revelation to scare us. He didn't give us all this revelation about his return and, and the days leading up to it to confuse us. But he gave it to us to prepare us so that we may endure the days leading up to it, so that we may be aware of the things that are going to happen. I have a concern that we neglect this topic way too much. The Lord has spoken to us at the gathering and our leadership that this is going to be one of the messages that you hear uh, within the church is how we as the church of Jesus Christ can be prepared for Christ's return, or how we, if, if we're not alive in this generation, of, if we're not that generation that Christ returns in, how can we prepare the next generation if they are the generation that is going to be here during the tribulation and uh, Christ's return? It, you may be listening thinking that, ah, this is unimportant. I would like to suggest to you that it is very important. And if you're not a part of that last church generation, your children or your grandchildren, or maybe even their children or grandchildren may be. For the past 2,000 years, each church generation has been passing the message down to the next generation in preparation for Christ's return. So it is vitally, vitally important. In, in a world of confusion, in a world of chaos, this is our hope. In a world where we see a lot of evil and wickedness growing and increasing across the land, as Jesus said it would. It's this message, it is this part of the gospel that gives us hope, and it's a part of the gospel that gives us an encouragement, as Paul said, encourage each other with these words, that Jesus is coming, he's not going to lie to us, he's going to come back, and he's going to conquer once and for all the evils of the world and redeem mankind. So it's something that we should definitely look at. Jesus deemed it as important, so we should as well. So last week we talked about Matthew 24. 
Jesus uh, gives great detail of the last days. That's where we need to start when we're talking about uh, the last days and our eschatology. We're going to continue to see what Jesus had to say to his apostles in regards to the last days and his return in that generation. So that was Matthew 24 last week. Mark 13 and Luke 21 are kind of parallel passages to Matthew 24. And that's where I want to start is Mark 13 and Luke 21. And even though they're parallel passages with Matthew 24, he gives some details in these other two passages that I think uh, is important to look at. Again, it's the same uh, scenario as last week we talked about. He's talking to James and John and and Andrew and Peter. And as he, he talks to them, he says something in Mark chapter 13. I'm going to start in verse 9 and, and read uh, and, and see what he has to say. He says this. He says, But be on guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. So last week in Matthew 24, we don't really see this highlighted, but as Jesus is saying you're going to be beaten, you're going to be brought to trial, these things are going to happen, he says, I want you to be on guard, but I don't want you to be anxious. Don't be anxious. Don't try to figure out what you're going to say on that day. Instead, rely on the Holy Spirit which is in you. So the practical application of what Jesus is saying in those last days as tribulation and trials and things start to arise and increase on the earth, the Holy Spirit is going to give us the words. Holy Spirit is going to speak to us. We don't have to come up with arguments. We don't have to try to prove Christ and his return. We don't have to prove the gospel with arguments and lofty opinions. Jesus promises us that his spirit is going to be with us and is going to give us the words to speak in that generation. Some people think that the in the last days prophecies cease and there's no more prophecies and things like that, but I would like to suggest that leading up to Christ's return, I believe that the prophetic anointing is actually going to increase. I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to speak through his believers in the greatest persecution the church has ever seen. Holy Spirit is going to increase the prophetic power in his church. Jesus gives us some practical encouragement here saying, don't worry about what you're going to say. He wants us to respond to the persecution and the trials and the tribulation with a dependency on the Holy Spirit and saying, I'm going to speak what the Holy Spirit says. He gives us some practical insight in the hour of persecution and trials to just lean into the Holy Spirit and rely on the Holy Spirit to speak through you. Again, in Luke chapter 21, he says the same thing. It's a parallel to Matthew 24. And he talks about the famines and the earthquakes and the wars and the signs from heaven and all of these things. Verse 12, he says, But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, deliver you up to the synagogues and in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Luke 21, 13. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. 
you'll be delivered up, even by parents and brothers and relatives, friends, and some of you they will put to death. You'll be hated for my name's sake by all. It says, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. In these passages, Jesus is saying that your loved ones, close people that you know, friends, family, they're going to turn against you. In the last days, brothers are going to turn against brothers and, and family members and loved ones. And he says that you're going to be persecuted. But don't worry about what you're going to say. In fact, this trial and this tribulation, this persecution is going to be your opportunity to bear witness about me. It's through the tribulations and the trials and the persecutions that we have a great opportunity to speak what the Holy Spirit gives us and to minister in that hour. Before he returns, as the tribulation increases and the trials increase, so do the opportunities to bear witness of the gospel, to be a witness of Jesus Christ and his message. I mean, let's look at it in a practical way. If we believers are being persecuted and there are, are we become a spectacle of the world and they see these Christians being persecuted and the message increases that Jesus Christ is coming, we, we're willing to lay down our life for Jesus. That gives us an opportunity to preach the gospel message in a major way across the earth. If you read church history, in the hour of some of the greatest persecutions on the church, that was also an hour of some of the greatest evangelism and some of the greatest conversions that the church has ever seen. Jesus says, don't be anxious about those days. Don't try to figure out what you're going to say, but the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you. He's going to give you wisdom. He's going to give you understanding. He's going to give you the words to speak. And this is going to be your opportunity to preach the gospel message in every arena. Because remember, Jesus said in Matthew 24 that the gospel is going to go out in every nation, in every land. The gospel is going to go forth in power and by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And a lot of that's going to be taken place during tribulation by God's people. These passages in Mark and Luke go with Matthew 24. So I wanted, I didn't want to neglect those. And I wanted to kind of highlight the unique things that Jesus said in these passages and put them with Matthew 24. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and go back now to Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, it's the continued conversation that Jesus had with his apostles whenever they asked, what will these days be like? And, and Jesus starts to give revelation of what those, that generation and the events leading up to his return is going to look like. And after talking about his return and the generation leading up to it, he gives two parables. And what we've got to understand is Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 are the same conversation that Jesus had. It's not two different conversations. Sometimes we read Matthew 25 and we try to read it from the perspective that it stands alone without Matthew 24. There are some good principles here in Matthew 25 that you can look at on a practical way as it's talking about talents and being faithful with, uh, with money and being faithful with what you've been given and uh, things like that. But Matthew 25 is an eschatology chapter. Jesus is giving principles and giving revelation of the last days and his return. In Matthew 25, as he talks about his return, he says, now here's what I want you to understand. There are a group of people that are foolish and a group of people that are wise. And then he talks about another group of people. He says there's a group of people that are faithful and who are wicked. So as Jesus continues the conversation, he's telling us, I want you to be wise and faithful rather than foolish and wicked. 
and he starts to lay down different people groups that are going to be on the earth when he returns. So let's let's dive into Matthew 25 as it is a continued conversation from Matthew 24. And uh, so we'll go ahead and, and read that together. We're going to continue to see what Jesus said to his apostles in Matthew 25. And I want to give an overview. He lays down there are some wise virgins and some foolish virgins. And he says there's some faithful servants and a wicked servant. And he correlates these people groups with different people groups that's going to be around when he returns. Matthew 25, verse 1. He says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five of them were wise. Verse 3. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. There are these ten virgins... They have these lamps, and I believe that the lamps being the word of God, uh, Psalm 119, verse 105, says that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. They, they have the word. They, they believe that uh, Jesus is coming. The bridegroom is coming. The bridegroom here is Jesus. The virgins are those who know that he's coming. Five of them had oil but five of them didn't have the oil. It says they took no oil with them. I don't want to make something up that, that's not biblical, but I believe that the oil here is speaking about the relationship with God, the Holy Spirit. The Bible says uh, in 1 Samuel 16, 13, that whenever the oil was poured on David, it said that then the Spirit of the Lord was with him from that day forth. And, and throughout Scripture, we see the oil in connection with the Spirit of God and the anointing of God. I believe what Jesus is saying here is, there are those who have the Word and a relationship with me, and then there are those who have the Word, but they do not know me. You can have the intellectual knowledge of the Word and not know Jesus. Some are going to say on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we minister in your name, and didn't we do this in your name, and do this in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. They didn't have the oil. They just had the lamp, the word. And Jesus tells his apostles, so there are the wise who have the oil and the lamp, and then there's the foolish who just have the lamp and no oil. Verse 5, he says, As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. The bridegroom being delayed, the bridegroom is Jesus. It's been 2,000 years, and the bridegroom has not yet come. It's this season, it's speaking of this intermediate season of where before Christ returns. And in that season, the church is going to become drowsy and sleep. But there's a warning, do not fall asleep, stay awake, be prepared. Verse 6, but at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. The Bible says that there's going to be a cry of an archangel and the trumpet of God's going to sound, and Christ is going to return in the clouds, and he's going to gather his people to him. Here, Jesus says there's going to be a cry, and the cry says, here's the bridegroom. Verse 7, Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. 
But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, you know neither the day or the hour. Jesus is teaching his people here, Be wise, be prepared, keep your lamp full with the oil. We don't know the day or the hour he's coming. And when answering the question, What's going to be the signs of the end of the age and your return? Jesus gives them all that information, and then he gives them a warning. He says, Do not be like the foolish virgins, for on that day, whenever the bridegroom comes, there's going to be a group of people that are going to be ready. They're going to be wise, and they're going to have the oil that burns the lamp. And again, I would like to suggest that the lamp being the Word of God and the oil being the Holy Spirit or the relationship that we have with God. And I like to say this too, that it is the Spirit of God and the anointing of God that allows the Word of God to shine bright. A lot of people will read the Word and they don't have the intimacy with God. They don't know God and the light's not shining in their hearts and in their their life. They're not being truly enlightened with the gospel. They just have the head knowledge. And he's saying, I don't want you just to have the lamp. I want you to have the oil and the lamp. As we get closer and closer to the return of Christ, we have to make sure our lamps are full with the oil. And, you know, we could we could try to break down all, what this could mean and what that could mean. Well, some people may read this passage and get something completely different. But the truth still remains. As we get closer to the return of Jesus, we need to know him. We need to do more than just know what the Word says about Him, but we need to know Him. We need the Holy Spirit in our life directing us, guiding us, walking in communion with God through the Spirit. And so the wise are going to be those who are prepared for the bridegroom by having the oil. Again, I would suggest as we get closer and closer to the day of the Lord, those who not only have the Word, the lamp, but has the spirit or the oil, the anointing, and the relationship with God. Jesus says, be wise, do not be foolish. As he gives direction to his people to be wise and not foolish, then he goes on and he describes another group of people, and that is the faithful and the wicked. He says in Matthew 25, verse 14, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. That's speaking of Jesus, it, he has entrusted his servants with the kingdom of heaven. He has entrusted his people with the gospel. He has entrusted his people to further the kingdom, to invest in the kingdom. And he went on a journey, that journey being Christ going and ascending to the Father and being with the Father until his return back to earth. During that time, during that intermediate stage of Christ ascending to the Father and him coming back, these past 2,000 years and until the day of his return, that's what we can call the intermediate stage. And that's the what Jesus is talking about on this journey. In this stage, he has entrusted his people, his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, to go forward, to preach the gospel, to teach the world and the nations what Christ and his kingdom represent and what it's about. Verse 15, To one he gave five talents, to another two to another one, to each according to his ability. The Bible says we've been given measures of grace, different giftings, different abilities to go and further the kingdom of God. Then he went away. Ephesians chapter 4 said whenever he ascended back to the Father, he gave gifts unto man. 
and he talks about these, these ministry gifts that he's given to the church to equip the church. And it says that he did that when he ascended to the Father. And so here, Jesus is saying that it's like this man who went on a journey, but before he left, he gave these talents. It is money. A talent's money. But the talent isn't just representing money. It's, it's representing a much bigger picture than just finances. When Jesus ascended, he gave gifts unto man. God has given grace to the church to further the kingdom of God. He's given us the ability to go forth and to be faithful with his kingdom and what he's given us to spread the gospel, to spread his kingdom. And so these talents here, there's such a bigger message here than just with money. The scriptures say, after he gave each according to his ability, then he went away. And so Jesus released the gifts to the church. He went away. Verse 16 He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. The point here is there were some who were faithful to the commission that the master had given them. The master had given them this money to increase his lands, to increase his property, and to invest it wisely so that when he returns, his property was increased. And two of them were faithful. They didn't have the same gifting. They didn't have the same ability. But it says that he gave them this money according to their ability. They took what they had and they furthered his property. They, they invested it wisely and got a return for the master when he was to come. The wicked servant, though, the lazy servant, he didn't have a desire to further his master's property. He hid his master's money, and he did absolutely nothing with it. That's the scenario that Jesus is painting here uh, for the apostles as he talks about the last days in his return. Verse 19, Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. It speaks of when Jesus is going to return and settle the accounts that he has given his church. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He describes those who are faithful in furthering the kingdom, furthering his property. Notice that the one who was given the five talents and and brought five talents more, his reward was the same as the reward of those who only had two talents who brought back two talents more. The master didn't look at the one who brought him five talents more and said, okay, you are much greater than the one who brought me two talents. The reward was, you are faithful with what I gave you, and because you are faithful with a little, I make you ruler over much. That's speaking of the day when Christ returns and he establishes his kingdom, those who are faithful servants in the kingdom of God, it says that they're going to shine like the sun and they're going to be made rulers over much. They're going to rule and reign with Christ. Jesus is telling his apostles, when I return, the faithful servants who furthered the kingdom are going to be made ruler over much. And after he describes the faithful servants, 
he goes and he speaks about the wicked servants. Verse 24, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you were scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master said to him, you wicked and slothful servant or lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have at least invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who had ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus explains when he returns, there are going to be wicked servants who knew the will of the master, but they were not faithful to the kingdom. They were not faithful in furthering the kingdom. It says they were wicked and lazy. The wicked servant on that day has an excuse, but I knew you were harsh. I knew that you were a a harsh master, and so I was afraid, so I hid this. And, And he starts to give an excuse as to why he doesn't come with Uh, return on the master's investment. But that doesn't change what the master says. He says, you knew I was a harsh man. So why didn't you at least go and invest what I've given you? Because then there would have been at least a little bit (laughs) of a return on my investment or a little bit of return or furthering of my property, an increase of my property. But he was lazy and he was wicked. So he was unfaithful with it. Jesus is telling his church, be wise, be like the wise virgins who have the oil with their lamps and be faithful rather than being wicked and, and, and hiding what God has given to his church and, and not trying to further the gospel. But he says, I want you to further the gospel. I want you to increase what I have given you. I'm entrusting you, my servants, with my property. Now you go and you increase my property. These two parables are eschatology parables. It's so much more than what we often take it as. We can read the parable of the ten virgins and say, ah, you need to prepare. You need to make sure you're prepared for tomorrow. You need to make sure you're prepared. And there's truth to that, but there's this isn't a teaching on being prepared with physical means. Here we're talking about the parable of the talents. There's some great financial wisdom here, but this isn't Jesus' teaching on finances. This is Jesus saying, You need to be faithful with what I have given you and entrusted you because I'm going to come back. And when I come back, I want my property increased. And if we still can't see that, the last part of this chapter, he finishes this conversation and notice what he says. Verse 31, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne When Christ returns in glory and in power, he is going to sit on the throne of David. Jesus says this after these parables. He just, in Matthew 24, he just explains what the generation is going to look like when he returns, events that are going to happen. Then he gives a warning about being our responsibility to be wise and to be faithful. And then he ends the conversation with his apostles with, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, then he'll sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, 
and he will separate people from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right hand and on the goats to his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. It's like him telling those servants, You've been faithful with what I've given you. You've been faithful over a little. Now I'm going to make you ruler over much. It's the same thought that Jesus is going through here. It's like the, the wise virgins who have the oil, who get to come and celebrate the marriage with a bridegroom and enjoy the blessings of the marriage. And it, it, it's the same thought here. He says, those, the sheep who are faithful, says that I'm going to say to them, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom that's been prepared for you from the foundations of the world. Verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous answered him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Then the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. He's saying that you were faithful. You spread the gospel. You loved me. You loved people. And my kingdom was blessed because of it. And because you were faithful, because you served me, because you loved me, then you now can enter into the reward of the kingdom that has been established for you from the foundations of the world. See, Matthew 25 is an eschatology chapter. He's talking about the final judgment, and he's, he's going to reward the righteous, and they're going to enter into the joy and the kingdom of God. Then verse 41, he says, Then he'll say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will say to them, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 is the same conversation. It's all one conversation that Jesus had with four of his apostles. The response that Jesus gave to the question, Jesus, what will be the signs of the end of the age and your return? And he explains to them, here's what's going to happen. There are going to be wars and rumors of wars, famines and earthquakes. There's going to be nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, Lawlessness is going to increase in the land. These are going to be the beginning of birth pangs. And as these birth pangs increase, there's going to be great tribulation. There's going to be an increased persecution on my people. There's going to be an increased persecution to the faithful believers of Jesus. Yet the gospel is going to go forth in power and in glory to all nations. The abomination of desolation, the Antichrist, is going to rise to power. He is going to declare himself God. The false prophet is going to establish an idol. And he's going to demand that the nations of the earth worship 
this man and, and, and take, receive the mark of the beast. And those who don't receive the mark of the beast or bow down to the image are going to have war declared against them. Jesus says it'll be the worst time in human history. Worse than, uh, it's going to be worse than what happened in 70 AD where a million Jews were killed. It's going to be worse than what happened in the, in the Holocaust where some 10 million people were killed. It's going to be the worst persecution and tribulation that has ever happened on the face of the planet, Jesus said. Super encouraging, right? But in the midst of this, he also says, but don't worry. Don't be anxious of what's going to be said. Don't be, don't be anxious of what you say, but the Holy Spirit is going to be with you. He is going to speak through you. He's going to give you the words, and it's actually going to be your opportunity to spread the gospel. It's going to be your opportunity to bear witness for me. And these things are going to take place. They're going to happen. And after this tribulation, I'm going to return. The trumpet's going to sound. Angels are going to gather the elect. My people are going to be gathered to me. He talks about the rapture. There's going to be a rapture of God's people. And at the end of this tribulation, as he raptures his people, then he is going to come and he is going to judge the wicked of the earth. Revelation says the bowls of God's wrath will be poured out at that time because we're not destined for wrath. Also in Matthew 24, he says, understand the signs, understand the trends and the events that are going to take place. The generation that sees all these things, that generation will not pass away. That, the generation that sees the wars, the rumors of wars, the famines, the earthquakes, the persecution of God's people, the Antichrist rise to power, all these things, that generation will also see the return of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, we don't know the day or the hour, so be prepared. Be prepared for that day. And he gives warning in Matthew 25 to be wise. Make sure that you have the oil with your lamp and to be faithful. Make sure that you are faithful to what the master has given us to do, that we are furthering his property. We are furthering his kingdom. When he returns, there's going to be a judgment. He's going to divide the wicked and the righteous, and the righteous are going to walk in eternal life and the wicked will be destined for eternal punishment and fire that was prepared for Satan and his angels. That's what Jesus had to say about his return and the generations leading up to it. Now, we can try to come up with some great ideas, and we can form different opinions of what we think that generation is going to look like. We can try to figure out uh, an eschatology that sounds good. At the end of the day, what Jesus said in Matthew 24 and 25 is one of the Bible's greatest descriptions of the last days and his return. And we absolutely must submit to what Jesus said about those days and not form a way around what Jesus said. We also can't find things in history that are similar to the things that Jesus said and say that's what he was talking about when there are so many missing elements. We have to understand that Jesus said, when you see all these things, I'm going to return. We have to submit our opinions to what Jesus had to say about that day. Again, it's very important to know what Jesus said about his return and that generation. Because Jesus gave us the information so that we would endure. But if we don't know what Jesus said, then it's going to be hard to endure those days. If he says, I'm telling you this so that you can be encouraged and you can be faithful and you would endure to the very end, if we don't know the things that he said, then we're going to have a challenge to not be able to endure. There's a chance of being offended 
at Jesus' leadership in those days if we don't understand what he said. I'll end with this. Open your word. See what Jesus has to say because he doesn't want you to be confused about it. He wants us to have great clarity and great revelation so that we can be faithful in the calling of God in this generation. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and gain revelation of what Jesus had to say. Uh, Next week, join me on Wednesday, and we're going to open up Matthew 13 and Luke 12 and Luke 17. We're going to wrap up the things that Jesus said in the Gospels about the last day generation and his return, and uh, then we'll go into what the apostles had to say in the letters. So be sure to tune in next week, and let's stay engaged in the conversation of the glorious return of Jesus Christ. Father, we love you, and we ask your blessings over your church that we may be prepared to be the generation of your return, and that we may be found wise and not foolish, that we may be found faithful and not slothful and wicked. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.